Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. As you're turning, I want to remind you that uh, you as a congregation have been a gracious church and allowed me and my family to have the month of July for a sabbatical. So this is the last time I'll be preaching until sometime, I think, in August. I'm not sure of the exact date yet, but um, thank you for that. Thank you for that time away. Thank you for that time to recharge and refresh uh, body and soul. For the next couple of weeks, the elders will lead and feed this congregation as they always have. And uh, we look forward to joining you once again in, in August. We'll be around in July to worship with you. Can't stay away from the body too long, right? I find it a great joy to, at least in the last couple of uh, days and week or so to meditate on this passage of Hebrews chapter 7 verses 20 to 28. If I had a text to preach uh, before you that I wouldn't preach again until let's say a week or a month and a half, this would be a great text to do it. So by by God's providence, I'm thankful for this text. My aim this morning, beloved, is to set Christ before your eyes. The theme of today is Christ our surety, in Christ, our Savior. I want Christ to be magnified in your eyes, in your eyeballs, that you would know Him and love Him and trust Him and live for Him and live not for yourself. Christ, our surety, in Christ, our Savior. Would you stand with me? Hebrews chapter 7, verses twenty. To 28. You remember the author is distinguishing between the old covenant priesthood and Christ as priest. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor or surety of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he who holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, He is able to say to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect for 
ever. This is the word of the living God. Indeed, you may have a seat. Look with me at verses 20 to 22. Christ, our surety. And it, that is the better hope of verse 19, the gospel was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one, that is Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, and then Psalm 1.10. So, the writer asserts that priests in the Old Covenant were without an oath. Christ, on the other hand, was made a priest with an oath. So there's two ways you can be a priest, according to Scripture. You can be made one with an oath or without an oath. And the writer asserts that nothing was promised to these old covenant priests that they would continue forever in their calling and office. Okay, so he's again, he's distinguishing between these, the former priesthood of the old covenant and now Christ as our priest in the new covenant. And he says that those were made without an oath, which is God's uh, eternal promise, right? An oath. God's eternal decree of promise that uh, they would not be a forever priesthood. Christ, on the other hand, based out of Psalm 119, was made a priest with an oath. The Lord has sworn, and here's the promise, here's the oath, Psalm 110, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, son, this is the father talking to the son now, you are a priest forever. Okay? So, the son has his calling as priest from the father himself to remain forever. His priesthood is based on God's immutability. On his unchangeableness. Those priests of the Old Covenant were not. You'll look in vain in the Old Testament for an oath for that priesthood. Christ, on the other hand, has a promise attached to His priesthood. And therefore, He is a forever priest. Clear? All right. Now, verse 22. This makes Jesus, so the oath... Psalm 110 makes Jesus the guarantor, or as I'm translating it today, the surety of a better covenant. One of the reasons why the new covenant is a better covenant than the old is because it has an oath and a better priest. So what do we make of this term guarantor? That sounds like a weird word. Well, I prefer the word surety. Gets across the same idea. It's a legal term. 
So let me give you a long definition. I'll give you a short one. Fair enough? Here's the long definition. One, who agrees to undertake for another who is lacking in ability to discharge his own obligations. All right? A.W. Pink says, quote, A surety is a sponsor for another, standing in the room of and acting for one who is incompetent to act for himself. That's a guarantor. That is a surety. Here's the short definition. Kids, here's the short one. It is identifying oneself with another party. All right? Jesus is a guarantor. He's a surety for a different party. We'll talk about that party in just a moment. Let me make a distinction between surety and mediator. They express the same ideas, that is mediator and surety or guarantor. But surety indicates the great extent to which a mediator will go. So, anybody can be a mediator. Just stand in the, in the, in the middle of two opposing parties okay, that are at odds with one another and attempt to mediate. That's a mediator. But a surety can only be defined as one who becomes bound at his own cost to remove all obstacles. A surety is bound at its own cost to remove all obstacles. Let me illustrate this for you. Turn to Philemon. So just one book to the left. Paul volunteered to be a surety for Onesimus. Philemon's runaway slave. Philemon 18. Paul says, if he, that is Onesimus, has wronged you, Philemon, okay, at all, or owes you anything, this is the surety part, charge that to my account. I, he says, I will Repay it. Do you hear that? So Paul wants to be a surety, a guarantor for Onesimus, okay, on his behalf. So back to Hebrews chapter 7. Hang with me. So when it says that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant or a surety, he is not a surety for God. God doesn't need a guarantor. He is the guarantor, okay? He has no lack. He can fulfill his duties of the obligation, of the covenant. Christ is a surety, okay, for his failing and deficient people. Us. You. And me. He is... A mediator, yes, but he removes all obstacles in our fellowship with God as we are incapable of discharging our duties because Christ, by in oath, takes our sin upon himself and thus acts as our surety. 
So let's put this all together. There is an oath that the Son has to be a priest. And on Calvary, He says, God, charge whatever my people owe thee to my account. And I will discharge all of their duties they cannot pay. Give me their debt and I will discharge it or pay it for them. Which is why we sang, before the throne my surety stands, before the throne my surety stands, my name is written on his hands. And that promise is immutable. God will not change his mind concerning the promise to you. Which is why Hebrews 8, 1, or Romans 8, 1 says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ. And that will always be the case. But you say, Pastor Ryan, my sin is so great. Every day, the guilt looms, the shame is there. You still stand before the throne as Christ your surety, uncondemned and not guilty, righteous and blameless before Christ and God. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that he gives you this guarantor, gives you the guarantee of the Spirit to be with you in the Christian life all the way to glory. Christ, our surety, verses 20 to 22. He's our guarantor of a better covenant. Verses 23 to 25. Christ, our Savior. Christ, our Savior. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So once again, the author is contrasting the two types of priests. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So it was their mortality okay, that kept them from serving. Christ, on the other hand, does not stay dead, is immortal, infinite, and therefore, His priesthood, the author says, is permanent. Says He Himself continues forever. One of the ways the Bible illustrates how that former priesthood was temporary and incomplete and insufficient is the death of Aaron. Would you turn to Numbers chapter 20? 
Numbers chapter 20. I think it was A.W. Pink that brought this out. Aaron is dying, and God commands Moses to bring Aaron up to Mount Hor. Verse 25 of Numbers chapter 20. Take Aaron, he says, and Eleazar his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments. Now remember, Aaron is the line of the priest. He's the high priest here. Put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, the house of Israel, Israel wept for Aaron 30 days. A.W. Pink says that is an illustration. Uh, God was at that time showing the Israelites just how flawed, temporary, and incomplete that old covenant priesthood was. Look at Aaron. Look at his death. That priesthood will not continue How do I know that? Because he dies and did not rise. So when you get to Hebrews chapter 7, and it says that Christ holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever, there will be no successor after Christ. This new covenant priest is different from all the rest. He rises and lives and reigns now and continues forever. He, he says, the author, Christ our Savior, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God since He Himself or He always lives to make intercession for them. This is an amazing phrase. Let's look at this phrase by phrase. He is able. Drop your eyes down to verse 26. The reason he is able, the reason he has the ability, the capacity, the reason he is furnished to save us is because he is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. In other words, Christ as priest is unblemished sinfulness. What we lack in ourselves, we find in Christ. Unblemished sinfulness. And therefore, He is able to save us because He is not like us. We need a salvation from outside of us. This is what the world, and frankly, this is what Christians struggle with. We look for saviors or redeemers from within. And the Bible speaks on every page, no, you lack what you have inside of you. You need to look outside to God and what God has done in Christ to save. 
Then he says, he is able to save to the uttermost. What does it mean that Christ saves to the uttermost? Is it saying that the perfection of the work is all complete? The perfection of the gospel of Christ's blood is is perfect and all complete for us and therefore nothing to, to clean up? Or is it saying that the duration of Christ's work is uttermost to its further extent? The duration or the perfection of of the work. Well, the word means pantelis, means all perfect. It's certainly true that Christ saves us to the uttermost in duration at the length of time. Philippians 1.6, that um, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's absolutely true. That's when you're in Christ, you're always in Christ. But I think here, as the NIV says, it's it's a perfection of the work. The work of Christ's life, death, and resurrection is complete. So when he says it is finished, as he hung there on Calvary, he meant it. All of your redemption is perfectly wrapped up in the mind of God. It's complete. Let me put it negatively. There's nothing for you to finish up. There's nothing for you to, there's there's no lack in the cross. There's no obedience I must do to perfect the gospel. Do you understand? It's absolutely and entirely perfect. Then and there, Michael Horton says, one of my favorite theologians, when did you get saved? And sometimes when he's asked that question by people, non-Christians, he's like, 2,000 years ago. That's when we were made perfect. The cross saved us entirely there. He bought your faith there. He bought your obedience there. He bought it all. Our obedience doesn't add anything to the work of Christ. Do you think your shame and your guilt and your sin now can blemish the blood of Christ? No. You are perfect at that moment in Christ. John Owen. He will not accomplish this or that part of salvation and then leave what remains to you. (laughs) Glory to God for that. What's needed What's necessary is for you to throw yourself on Christ by faith. And guess what? That was purchased at Calvary as well. It is finished. 
He saves to the uttermost those who draw near to God. He does not save those who do not draw near to him. He will not save the entire world. The atonement of Christ is limited. It is limited. It is limited to those, as the scripture says in this verse, to those who draw near to God. You must draw near to him. You are compelled, I urge you today, to draw near to God. He saves to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What a powerful phrase. He died, as verse 27 says, once and for all when he offered up himself and then now he lives to make intercession for them. So there is not a day, nor an hour, nor a minute that Christ as your surety is not before a throne of God praying for you. He lives to make intercession for you. Which means... When you put your head on your pillow at night, every single night, the only reason you made it to your bed in faith is because Christ was praying for you the entire day. That's the only reason you and I do not apostatize from the faith. That's the only reason you love your spouse. That's the only reason Reason That is the bottom of the Christian life and faith. Christ as your surety before the throne interceding for you. Newsflash. Our faith isn't that great. But Christ is. And he prays for you every single day. He lives to make intercession for them. Praise God. Robert Murray McShane, Scottish pastor, 1803, I believe it is, to 1843. He said, if Christ, you need to hear this, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. That's the only reason you and I are in Christ all the time. It's not your faith. It's not your obedience. None of that. It's all complete. He holds you fast. Oh, I pray we would be a courageous people. God, I pray we would be a courageous people. If we could hear the Son of God pleading for His people, pleading for us, I wonder what type of people we would be. Distance makes no difference. He is praying for you. Oh, but my sin, Ryan. Oh, my shame and my guilt. No. No. What Christ did for Peter... He does for us. 
Remember what he told Peter? I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Did Peter mess up after that? Yes, he did. But what did Peter become? All on the bedrock of Christ. Let me, let me go to 2 Corinthians as I close. What should Christ as our surety and our Savior do for us practically? What is the practical application of Christ as our surety and our Savior? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. So this is Paul's big conclusion in life. That one has died for all. Therefore all have died. So if you are in Christ by faith, you're dead. Your personal ambitions, your, your personal goals in life, they're gone. He died for all, verse 15. Why did he die for you? Look at it. That's right. That's right, Elias. What's the purpose? To better state it. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, (laughs) but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The purpose of the cross and the gospel is for you to die. If you are here today on a path for selfish ambition and personal ambition, That is not the way of Christ. The point of the cross is to die to self and live for Christ. You have two ways to live. You can either pursue the glory of yourself or the glory of Christ. Which one is it? The gospel, according to Paul here, says, embrace self-denial. Embrace cross-bearing. And all that you are, and all that you do, work, marriage, parenting, dot, 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 embrace the glory of Christ and not the glory of self. The way to joy And happiness and satisfaction is dying to self. Lying in the dust. 
if you are here on a path for personal ambition, that is suicide. We belong in the dust, and then we live. That's the only way to live. Self-denial. Let's pray. Our great God, we do thank you that you are our surety. You bound yourself to the promise that you would take our debts. We thank you that you are a Savior, saving us to the uttermost. Nothing for us to pick up and finish off. But it's all by grace. The Lamb of God, slain, For his people. And we come every day Lord. To celebrate this truth. That you are our surety. At the table we come to celebrate. Such a meal as this. Such a work of redemption. Let each of us. As we walk up to this table. O God. Prick our consciences. That we might eviscerate. Self love. In the wrong way in our lives. That the glory of self will be laid in the dust and when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we say, soli dea gloria. For the glory of Christ we live. For you bled for us and you died for us. Give us this faith, we pray. Let us enjoy this feast together. In Christ's name, amen.